We've got a real treat for you guys today. The fourth best preacher at Queen City. Right on, baby. Fourth string. I love it. Uh, I'm only saying that because I'm super jealous of Al for everything. So he's like the best musician, one of the best speakers that you'll ever see here. Stop it. Um, and he, he started... Uh, he started telling us in the green room this morning what he was going to be. You know, sometimes people talk and then other times they give away something like there's some kind of exchange that's going from them to you and you can feel it. You can't necessarily, it's not necessarily all about the words. It's like there's this thing that happens and I felt that this morning. So let's pray over Al and he'll get started. Father, we thank you for the word that is coming forth today. We, we believe that the Spirit has prepared our hearts today, and we just want to stay aware this morning, Lord, of what you're doing. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, we, pray, we bless Al this morning. Thank In you. Jesus' name, amen. Yes, and, and bless my son who did not want to go to child care. Had, half, had people like, aren't you talking today? As I'm carrying my son to child care. It's awesome. Uh, wow. Um, is the worship team in here? If you're on the worship team, stand up, just stand up between the dude over here dancing and just guys reach your hand out. Cause I just want to blessed. Like we actually saw the feeding of the 5,000 in our worship this morning. Like we saw people take four or five chords and take us on a journey where Robin gets a word and all of a sudden we have people getting healed, right? So we saw what I'm going to preach. I feel like I've got nothing to say. So Lord, we bless the worship, prayer and poetry. Will you bless our musicians and our artists with prayer and poetry? Will you give them the courage to say what they see? Will you give them the courage to say what they see and bring that? as their gift to the table, as we've already heard, to be shared among our community as we saw in Acts 2. Bless them and keep them in peace. Reign on them. In Jesus' name, amen. It was so good. I was sitting there going like, what am I going to say? So um, here we go. I'm going to jump right in because I don't, how much time do I have, Robin? Okay. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. <laughs> Here we go. My message is merely a setup to make you move and do something. Is that okay? If you haven't, if you're uncomfortable with being active, then this service is not for you. Because my setup is all for us to activate what we've already been doing. Okay? I'm going to read from Matthew 14, 13 to 21. This is the feeding of the 5,000, or as I've been writing, feeding the 5K. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do, need, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. 
Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up the twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, and that's not including the women and children. Now, most of us, how many are you for, are familiar with this story of the feeding of 5,000 by a show of hands? Great. Okay, put your hands down. Now, the pro, I want to move this from a Sunday school parable to like real life. Because what happens with stories, and I'm quoting Dallas Willard here, is things that become familiar, that familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, and then it brings contempt. And contempt is just a big word for something that we just don't need to consider anymore. And I don't want, I want us to consider this story because as I've been reading this, what I saw in this story, and it's going to sound very familiar. I feel like the Lord has continually had this kind of undertow of the same message. And I've only talked three times, but I feel like I'm saying the same thing, but maybe I'm not. Is that the main theme that I see in the feeding of the 5,000 is this move from scarcity to abundance, it's this idea that we feel like we never have enough to this idea that we actually believe in a God who continually provides. The scarcity, as I've said before, scarcity comes from Pharaoh. It was instituted by Pharaoh. It was an economic move that Pharaoh did, whereas abundance comes from God. Scarcity, this idea that we will never have enough. It's a mindset that controls us still to this day. And you've heard me say it, Pharaoh is alive and well. But fortunately, Jesus is too, right? So scarcity to abundance is our main theme, if you think about this as an orchestral piece. That's our main theme. And then there's three movements that I saw happen within the scripture. First is the movement from a desert place to the promised land. The second movement is a movement from individuals competing to communities sharing. And the third movement, the last movement, is people being alone and hungry to people being gathered and satisfied or together and satisfied. Now, I want to go back through because the important thing to recognize is that this story, the feeding of the 5,000, is actually in all four gospel accounts. And each one has a little bit different thing to add into the story. And what I did was I kind of took all of them and meshed them into another reading, kind of my own paraphrase. So um, if you guys, if you can put Matthew 14 back up, I'm going to read my notes, which is meshing Mark, Luke, and John in with Matthew and fill in some of the gaps. And then I'll, I'm going to do three quick points and then we're going to activate. You guys ready? Everybody good? Okay. So. First, a couple caveats. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they place the feeding of the 5,000 between John's death and Jesus walking on water. So in scripture, in those particular gospels, you see John is beheaded uh, as a party gift, which is horrible. And then Jesus feeds the 5,000 and he walks on water. Um, In Mark and Luke, even before John the Baptist is beheaded, it says that Jesus had commissioned the 12. So that's where we kind of join in the story is that the apostle gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught because he had just sent them out. Jesus said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. Luke lets us know that the deserted place was a city called Bethsaida. John lets us know that it was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Many were coming and going, and the disciples had no leisure time to even eat, and they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. 
John tells us that the Passover, Passover, the festival that the Jews was near, many saw the disciples going and recognized them. And they, this crowd of people, hurried to where the disciples were going and arrived ahead of them. As Jesus went ashore, he saw the great crowd. He had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. As we heard in Matthew, Jesus cured the sick. When it grew late, now, side note, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all indicate that this was happening in the evening. The disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something to eat. When Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered Jesus and said, six months wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to even get a little. Are we going to go and spend 200 denarii worth of bread to give them something to eat? But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. In all three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in my translation, it says, you give them something to eat. Jesus said to them, how many loaves have you? Go and see. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Side note, all four gospels have the same, they have the same numbers, five loaves, two fishes. When they found out that they had five loaves and two fish, Jesus ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the grass. They were, there was a great deal of green grass in this place. So they sat down about 5,000 people. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus, two fish, Jesus looked up to the heavens and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. Then Jesus divided the two fish among them all and all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. All four gospels indicate that Jesus looked up to heaven, that he blessed and broke the bread, and then he distributed the bread. Some exceptions in these stories. John said Jesus distributed the bread to those who were seated. That could have included the disciples, but we really don't know. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that people were, that they all ate and were filled. John says simply that they were satisfied. I thought that was an interesting thing. John has a little bit of additional thing at the end, and I'm going to read that, and then we're going to jump right into my quick message. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. There you go. So that's the totality of the story. Our first movement from a a deserted place to promised land. Jesus was mourning the death of John the Baptist. He wanted to find a place to be by himself. He wanted to have some solitude. How many of you need it, have had that happen where you just need to get away and deal with something only to be interrupted? You ever had that happen? Well, Jesus, what happens is that interruption within a few moments becomes a divine interaction. What had been an interruption quickly becomes an invitation. 
How many times have you been interrupted and it's been an interruption? Maybe we should begin to see interruptions as an invitation. Sort of like your son not wanting to go to class. Do you receive those interruptions with compassion? Or do you receive those interruptions with contempt? Not only are we in a deserted place, but we're told that it's in the dark. Awesome. You're in a, you're in a deserted place and it's in the dark. How well do you finish your days? It's at the end of the day. Jesus is tired. He's exhausted. We know that he wanted to find some solitude and now he's being interrupted. And now it's, it's getting late. How well do you finish your days? The reason why I ask that question is because I don't finish well. I just should go to bed and not talk because I usually get into so much negative self-speech that it's like I should just take some melatonin and go to sleep. I get cranky. It's not good. But Jesus is ready to go. And that's what convicted me when I read this. Jesus was ready to go. He was physically exhausted, but he was spiritually awake. And that's what I want. (laughs) I don't know about you guys. He's mourning the death of his cousin. It's at the end of the day. He wasn't expecting to have to minister to people, but he does anyway. People were getting healed and stuff. It's late in the evening and he still delivers. He had compassion on them. The thing that I came out of this section from, from a desert place to the promised land, I want to be able to hear with my eyes and see with my ears. I want to be able to hear with my eyes and see with my ears. We heard that prayer during worship. Holy Ghost, come and help us see. That's my prayer. We need to move from a deserted place to the promised land. The places that we go, we need to have the Lord convert those things. Convert the interruptions to invitations. Convert the desert places into places that are promised lands. Convert the dark places to places of light. It's all about seeing. The second movement is the movement from individuals competing to community sharing. A couple of weeks ago, I was on the road. I was in New York and I had a friend of mine remind me something he said and it was beautiful. He said, you know, people, the people of God, we are a people of sowing and reaping, not of buying and selling. And I was like, oh, that is so good. That is so good. I don't know if that's connected with my point, but I wanted to say that. <laughs> Remember, the idea of scarcity was initiated by Pharaoh. It's a way of controlling the human psyche. It's a fear tactic that beds itself deep inside of us. And we have to be mindful of the fact that the disciples were affected by this as well. The Roman Empire, like all empires, used scarcity and fear as control mechanisms to keep people in their place. If you were poor, you were going to stay poor. If you were rich, you were going to stay rich. Listen to these words from the author Parker Palmer. Jesus makes a dramatic dramatic attempt to break people of the scarcity habit by revealing the reality of abundance. The drama begins when the disciples come to Jesus saying that the hour's late, but Jesus, then that Jesus should disperse the crowd to the nearby villages to buy dinner for themselves. Two things happened here, two things that reflect and reinforce the assumption of scarcity. The disciples had been conditioned to think in terms of scarcity, that there wasn't enough. First, the disciples insist that the people be told to buy their evening meal. 
The disciples obviously obviously believe that food is scarce. And when something is scarce, we are conditioned to think that we must dis- be, it must be distributed competitively, meaning we need to use money to go buy food. Food's not available unless we pay for it. Jesus' disciples, convinced that scarcity reigns, rather than what we sang earlier, that Jesus reigns like the spring rain. This is so connected, it's scary. Jesus, we didn't even talk about it. That's the way it goes. Jesus' disciples are convinced that scarcity reigns. They want people to buy their own dinners so that the cash economy can obscure the fact that there's too little food to go around. The disciples believe that, the rea- that their reality, the facts, their reality is the only thing they can see. Sometimes the reality that we think is reality is only the reality we've been conditioned to see. Do you understand? Are, we, are you catching what I'm saying? I don't want to leave you behind because this is good stuff. All right? Especially now. The second thing that happens As this drama begins, it's intimately related to the first. Not only do the disciples want people to buy their own dinners, they also want to disperse them, to send them away and go into the country and the villages around about. That is, the disciples want people to compete. They want them to compete separately and individually for scarce food, rather than join together in a community that has the potential for sharing and for generating abundance in the midst of scarcity. Listen, if you haven't heard anything I say, listen to this and take it away. There is a powerful correlation and connection between the assumption and the conditioning of our mind around scarcity and the decline of community. One more time. There is a powerful correlation and connection between not having enough and believing and conditioned to think that there's never enough and the decline of a creative community. If we allow the scarcity mindset to dominate our thinking, we will act in individualistic, competitive ways that destroy community. If we destroy the community, we're creating and sharing with others actually generates abundance. The scarcity assumption will become our reality. Community and abundance go hand in hand. Jesus' response to the disciples is very, very simple. It's in all, it was in at least three of the four Gospels. You give them something to eat. You give. You give. With those two words, Jesus is shifting the paradigm of individualism. This individualism is this idea that you're all alone, that you're on your own. It is, it's hot right now. It's hot. We are so connected, but so alone. I feel so connected and I feel so alone. I got 4,000 followers, but when I go to bed at night, I feel alone. I'm not preaching. I'm telling you this. I'm (laughs) way too vulnerable, Al. Remember, in two of the gospel accounts prior to this story, Jesus has recently sent the disciples out on their own. Jesus is Jesus then and now is trying to empower us, his disciples to activate what we've learned. We've been in the book of Matthew. We've heard the Lord's prayer. We've heard the sermon on the Mount. We need to begin to activate that. With the word you, Jesus is pushing up against his disciples worldview that those people that although that he's pushing with the word you, he's pushing up against this. I can't look at my notes. We often want to say that's their problem or that's that's not our problem. 
And what Jesus is saying with you is just like he said, give us the Lord our daily bread. It's not their problem. It's our problem. With the word you, Jesus is saying, this is a solidarity issue. They're not alone. They're with us. We are them. They are us. He's not creating a divide. He says, you give them something to eat because you are them and they are you. With the give, Jesus is shifting another paradigm. He's pushing up against the disciples' worldview that provision only comes through buying and selling. You give them something. He forces the disciples to see what they have, not what they don't have. How many loaves have you? It's right out of Mark 6.38. Scarcity, this idea that we don't have enough, can convince, can, it will convince us if you let it, almost to the point of arrogance that nothing exists unless we make it. False, it's not true. It's a lie and we buy into it every time. We buy into it. We buy into the idea that if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. If we don't make it, it's not going to happen. Scarcity blinds us to the potential of five loaves and two fish. Scarcity blinds us from abundance. Movement three, moving from a people that are alone and hungry to a people who are together and satisfied. Seriously, five loaves and two fish feeding 5,000 people. Does anybody really believe that? You're awesome. Okay. I'm here to tell you that has to be a miracle. Now, before I go into this, I want to let you know, I'm intensely charismatic. Um, I believe in miracles. I, I believe in healings. I believe in signs and wonders. You guys are a sign and a wonder. Seriously. I'm looking at all of that. We saw healings earlier. I believe in it. I was praying for somebody. But I also believe in our responsibility to co-labor with God in the creation of God's kingdom here on earth. Sometimes, don't get mad if you do, my email is not going to be just, I'm not going to tell you. Sometimes we use the words like miracle and healing, although I believe in them, they can assist in us excusing ourselves from active participation. We can see Jesus as a magician not the Messiah. Which one do you want, guys? Again, Jesus is trying to help us and empower us to live the Lord's Prayer and to live the Sermon on the Mount, to live the things that we have been learning about in this beautiful book by Matthew. I'm going to continue with some more words by Parker Palmer. This guy has become my friend. I do not, hypothetically, guys, I do not demand a naturalistic explanation for the miracle in the story of the 5,000. I'm content to let the story be the story and learn from it on that level. But since the story purports to be rooted in historical events, it is intriguing to speculate on what may have happened. According to the text, Jesus asks his disciples, how many loaves have you? It is unclear whether the you refers to the disciples themselves or the entire crowd, but I would guess the former, meaning he's assuming it's the disciples. A moment earlier, Jesus' disciples told him, Jesus told the disciples, you give them something to eat. He seems to be trying to get the disciples to understand that they have a gift to give the crowd that does not depend on stockpiles of food or commercial transactions. Then the text says that Jesus blessed and broke the loaves, which were five loaves and two fish, 
and had disciples and had the disciples set it before the people. It does not say that the loaves and fish had magically multiplied, multiplied by the time they left Jesus' hands. What may have happened instead is that Jesus and the disciples simply modeled the act of sharing for the crowd by giving thanks for what little they had and offering it to anybody who wanted to eat. As this happens, perhaps the people gathered in small groups because they were gathered in groups of 50s and 100s. Perhaps while they were in this group, they had food to share with one another. Perhaps they found themselves moved to emulate the generosity of Jesus and the disciples rather than hoard their scarce resources. In fact, it might have been hard to do otherwise. Sitting there on the green grass in a circle of family and friends and neighbors, watching this beleaguered little band of disciples give away what little they had, suddenly, through a community ignited by an example of generosity, scarcity turns into abundance. It happens not by magic, but by the live encounter of people who have been helped to remember each other and themselves. The story does not claim that everyone walked away from dinner with a full belly. It simply says they all ate and were satisfied. You see, scarcity thrives on dissatisfaction. Scarcity thrives on us believing that there's not enough. This story... This miracle story is a story about a community not letting this be their problem. The people out there, it's our problem. Community is the context in which abundance replaces scarcity. Community and abundance, they go hand in hand. Community and provision go hand in hand. True abundance resides in the simple experience of people being present to one another and for one another. Our church is a creative community. And for those of you who don't think you're creative, let me just take the excuse off of you. Response is a creative act. Our church is creative. Church, I'm not, you're, if you don't think you're creative, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Response is a creative act. Repeat that. Response is a creative act. Very good. Okay. How many people want to be a church that can tell people, let my people, that we go out into the streets and we're like, let my people go? Because right now, guys, the idea of letting my people go, the idea of Pharaoh has been on me for like uh, several years now. It's like that, that idea of the Pharaoh system of scarcity, I deal with it too. I feel like I've never have enough. I need that broken off of me. So I know there's other people out there. How many people want to be a part of a community that is breaking people free of this thing? Show hands. Great. Stand up. All right, before we start, this is the move, okay? This isn't a CrossFit class, and don't hurt yourself. It's just, to, it's just to remind you that this is a physical thing as much as it's spiritual. This is a call and response. You're going to get to sit back down in a second, so just bear with me. Repeat after me. We follow Jesus. The living God who makes his dwelling place within us. One more time. We follow Jesus, the living God who makes his dwelling place within us. We host the presence of the living God. We, we host the God of hope. We host the God of abundance. We host the God of belonging. We host the God of the unrealistic and the impossible. 
Amen. Amen. Okay, so this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to activate that presence that resides within you. Jesus within you. That familiar story of the feeding of the 5,000s, you're not off the hook. Tonight, tonight, it feels like night. This morning, we're going to activate, we're going to activate this very thing. Sit down and I'm going to give you a quick instructions on what we're going to do. Just as we had three movements, just as we had three movements, right? Desert, a desert place to promised land, individuals competing to community sharing, people alone and hungry to people being gathered and satisfied. There are three movements that I saw to where we can activate the feeding of the 5,000 in a way of prayer. First one, it's late and we're hungry. We have to recognize the struggle. That's the thing the disciples did. They're like, hey, people are here and they're hungry. They recognized a need. So we have to verbalize what our need. We have to recognize what we struggle with. We need to bring that struggle to the light because he is the light. And we bring it to the light of fellowship. First John says that we then are, we partner with Jesus and he, and he cleanses us. We're the only, do you understand we're the only community that, that fellowships around struggle? Oh, you'll get that one later. (laughs) If you're struggling with anxiety this morning, if you're struggling with depression, if if you're suicide, fear, loneliness, angst, second thing is we bless and break. What do we do? We actually give thanks to God for that struggle. We thank God. We come to God and we say, okay, we verbalize our struggle. Second thing is we're going to break and we're going to bless and break that. We're going to bless and and we're going to distribute it. We're going to thank God for your struggle. I know that sounds crazy, but if you, that Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? He said, what's right in front of you? If you're struggling, you don't think there's nothing. You're searching over here for what you have, but what you have is this struggle. That's what you've got. They had five, they had five loaves and two fish. If all you've got is the struggle, that's your five loaves and your two fish, guys. It's right in front of you. Don't deny this thing that's been given to you to teach you something. Because like I said the last time, this test, this thing that's going to teach you something, that is the very thing you're going to have authority over. And that authority is a gift to our community. All right. First thing, we recognize and verbalize the struggle. Second thing is we actually thank God, crazy people, we thank God for that struggle. The third thing is, is we multiply it and distribute it. And I'm going to quote Barbara Brown Taylor. Stop looking for someone else to solve the problem and solve it yourselves. Stop waiting for food to fall from the sky and share what you have. Stop waiting for a miracle and participate in one instead. I didn't say it. She said it. That's our goal. That's our goal. Participation, miracle participation, healing participation, distribute and multiply. This is truly when the rubber meets the road. Again, this struggle can be our place of abundance. It can be our teacher. If it's our teacher, we multiply health. We multiply good and we multiply hope. We multiply health and holistic living. We multiply hope and good things. Please stand. This is going to get messy, but don't, don't even think for a second it wasn't messy the day with 5,000 men. They didn't even count the women and children because there, were, there was a lot of people. What we're going to do first is we need to cluster. Remember Jesus broke them into 50s and 100s. So 
If you're close to some people, just be close enough that you can kind of talk and hear each other. Okay, it doesn't have to be super organized. All right, so we just need to cluster and be near each other. If you're, this is going to move quick. All right. All right, in, while you're in the group, if you don't feel comfortable doing this, then don't do it. Write it down, but you need to verbalize what you're struggling with. What are you currently struggling with? Say it out loud. And then as we're, as we're going within your groups, come on, guys, vulnerability time. Say what you're struggling with, verbalize it, bring it to the light of fellowship. All right. Now, as we're going, if you want to shout a few of them out, I'm going to write them down. What are we dealing with, church? What are we struggling with? What are we struggling with, church? Sickness, anxiety, debt, money. What are we struggling with? Holler, holler. All right. As a community, let's worship together. Those very things you're struggling with, begin to thank God for that. Pray, God, we thank you for these struggles. God, I thank you for anxiety. I know. I thank you for the debt that I'm in. I thank you for the fear, God. We're, we just want to thank you, God, for these things we're struggling with. I thank you for my struggle for money. I thank you for the fear. I thank you for the anxiety. I thank you, God, for that depression. I thank you, God, for that suicidal thought. We thank you, God, for that. Now, let's pray together. If someone's really dealing with, let's 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 pray some more. If you if you if you're close by, on the shoulders, and if you need to ask for permission, say, "Can I touch you on the shoulder?" That's how we do it in the PC world, okay? Because no one here wants that lawsuit because you're in a church service praying for somebody. Repeat after me: In Jesus' name, we command. Say your struggle. Say it. We command that to go. In Jesus' name, you must go. That struggle, you have no authority over us. We are a people of abundance. We break off scarcity in Jesus' name. We see interruption as invitation. We see a bad situation as an opportunity for good. Open our eyes to see this week. Lord, give us new eyes. Give us open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sit back down. I'm going to finish with a benediction over you. Benediction is basically like, Hey, see ya, peace. But with a little bit of scripture. And then they'll have somebody, and then Robin's going to back up. This is from Philippians 4, 7. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Al's benediction. Very good, Al. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It says, do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and. But what's it go with? Mm -hmm. See, prayer and supplication is not enough. After, um, in the John account, Jesus... Let me go back in the Mark account. In every account but the John account, Jesus blessed and broke and distributed. What did he break? Well, he broke that bread, but, but, but how do you break something? There was some miracle to it all. And I think part of the miracle was Others had things they wouldn't contribute until they saw the heart of the apostles and that poor little kid that gave up his lunch. Mm -hmm. Well, what did Jesus really break? I believe the Lord showed me recently he broke the concept of lack. He blessed and broke. But he used a particular um, state of uh, or viewpoint or state of mind called thanksgiving. Because when you read in John 6 later, another episode comes up and the disciples are describing the place where that miracle happened. And they describe that place not as the corner of 5th and Main or not as just over the hill from Genesaret. They say, oh yeah, that happened at the place where the Lord gave thanks. Hmm. That's how they describe that miracle. Oh, that's that's the place where the Lord did what? Gave thanks. And so there's a distinct connection between thanksgiving and the multiplication of resource. Mm-hmm. That's good. There's, there's a distinct relationship between those two. One of the things Al said, and it doesn't sound right, but it is right. You thank God for bad things. What? Well, the Bible says in everything, give thanks. Maybe not for it, but in it. And Al's idea was you thank God for the problem because that's the way you look at one that has a solution. This is the power, the power of thanksgiving. Does that make sense? So that was a, that was a tremendous word. I do feel like there are a couple of other Issues God wants to heal. How many of you want to get healed? Wow, a lot of sick people if you're that happy. Uh, one of the things I felt like the Lord was talking about was thyroid conditions. If you have a thyroid condition, why don't you stand up? One, two, three, four, five, a number of you. And I got this thing about uh, calcium deposits. But calcium can give you rigid joints. It can freeze up. How many of you have, say, tendonitis? Yes, stand up if you have tendonitis because that can be 
a calcium deposit. Or just anybody with painful joints, why don't you stand up? Well, Father, um, I'm just waiting. The Holy Ghost is just going to touch you. We don't, this is not a formula. Formulas don't work. Jesus works. Formulas don't work. One guy said, well, you have to believe in Jesus. Then you get baptized. Then you get baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. I said, well, what about Acts there where they interrupted, Gentiles interrupted Peter's message by speaking in tongues. What do you do with that? So there's no formula. There's God. There's Jesus. Sarah's talking about this Jesus. Not this formula, not this concept, not this idea, this person. People in their misery forget there's a person who, who exists beyond circumstance that isn't Psalm 115 verse 3, I think it says, God does whatever he pleases. There is that side to God. So we release this morning whatever God pleases to do for health and healing. In the name of Jesus, not by formula, but the person of God in the Holy Ghost. Touch, touch, touch. When I say touch, you get touched. That's the way this works. Touch. Who agrees with that? Why not? Touch. We release the touch of the Holy Ghost. We release the touch of God by faith, by proclamation. Right now, let the power of God go through your joints, through your thyroid, cure illnesses, cure stuff we're not even praying for, Lord Jesus. Now, 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 right now. Drop from your noggin to your heart and receive more. Get out of your get out of your reason and get into faith. Just say, I receive. This just I receive. Now the touch. The touch of God now. Now. More, Lord, we ask, we ask. Man, do you feel that? Woo. Yeah, let's just wait. You go to the doctor, they give you an appointment, you still wait. And they're practicing. Jesus doesn't practice. That's why if they don't cure you, you still pay. They're practicing. Jesus doesn't practice. He cures. He heals. He releases. He delivers. He blesses. He loves. He gets disturbed when people suffer unnecessarily. So we release Grace and goodness, we release favor, we release mercy, we release healing, virtue. Now, 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 in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. With thanksgiving, let your request be made. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for what you did today, start to finish the worship in Al's message.
All right, we want to invite prayer uh, ministry teams up front. If anybody uh, wants to get prayer, some more prayer after this fine service, we can get the ministry team to come up to this side of the building. And um, make sure the most important thing of the day is when you walk out those doors, there's going to be some folks standing at the right-hand side waiting to sign you up for a home group. So go sign up for a home group today. We'll see you all next week.